Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Quick turn. Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and JC. Oh, welcome back to another episode of a typical disgusting display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing and Goldie, we hate writing, but now (laughs) we're back writing as of Yesterday, mm. we are officially back in the office working on back Family Guy. Day. Goldie, are you just overjoyed? Are you thrilled? Are you quelling? <laughs> well, yesterday was great. It was yeah. great to be back. I will say that it made me realize, though, that uh, doing this job one day out of every six months feels about the right amount. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, that was great. First joke of the day. Uh, <laughs> Really good to see everyone and catch up. I don't need to catch up again. Yeah. And then you go, yeah, I was making jokes. It was it was good and it felt good and everything was flowing. And then, you know, I don't want to be a malcontent here. You you stuck my group in a windowless room. <laughs> yep. Right <laughs> away. True. Yeah. Right they, they away. Like, we've got this great new room for you guys. Yeah. And it's just a white room, totally white. In white a carpet white room with no windows, so it's the most maddening yeah. space I've ever entered. Like wow. I, I, I was in- calculating who needs the least sunlight when you were <laughs> in that group. No, when you write a scene, and this is a little inside baseball, and and the slug line for the scene is interior X. <laughs> and X just means like, oh, they're in just like space. That room is interior X. It's just a timeless, like a formless. You are, you are a baby and you are about to die in the room. It's time becomes a flat circle in the room. You're like, it could be 8 p.m. You're, you're, you're traveling at the speed of light. So you're aging slower than everyone outside. You step outside. Everyone's been dead for 2 million years. Oh my God. I, I, like I could have been in there four months. I have no, I have no idea. Or I could have been in there 10 seconds. I don't know what happened in that room. It was a sensory deprivation chamber and it was yeah. meant to elicit an emotional response from all the writers like Aaron Rodgers deciding that he wanted to go to the well, Jets. If the, if the goal is like, hey, listen, the staff has become a little bloated and we need to drive 
drive four people insane so we can have some <laughs> open spots. Like then, you know, you succeeded because it, it honestly felt like being in the Titanic submersible. <laughs> you bring a lot of stuff back to that submersible. I know. <laughs> uh, There's part of you that wishes that you were on well, there. They're doing take, a movie you know, about it. And I if know. they don't Crazy. do it as a comedy, then I'll be so upset. <laughs> a comedy. <laughs> Should we? Ca- who, who do we cast in that movie? By the way, who do we want to see get crushed? Well, okay, so here we go. The <laughs> yeah, captain is Walton Goggins. Is it really? No, I'm saying oh, you just okay. asked me yeah, who yeah, should yeah, we yeah. cast. This is obvious. <laughs> that was hilarious because it's. I love be true. Goggins. He's who got he's got the perfect Walton. face to get crushed in a submersible. He looks like he's halfway there. Like yeah, his, and it's also like is... he he looks kind of drunk and but he's like handsome wow. adjacent but yes. like things have gone yep. wrong and he and yeah. he yeah. looks I... suspicious but you can't put your finger on why so yeah. goggins then okay. i'm going to say keenan thompson <laughs> yes. Oh, yes this yes. is where that the comedy comes yes. in i love it the, yes yes i love that i <laughs> yeah. love that and and you get those two and then other people sign yeah on. and i'll say You're like drop. i think i think Kristen wig is a mysterious widow Ooh, yes. Well, what wow. about um? What about that actress who's in everything? I'm going to get her name wrong. It's like Anna Duvernay or something. No, no, I love her. I mean, I think she's <laughs> one of the hottest women in the world. But no, it's like she was the one in the Queen's Gambit. I know. Oh, and, yeah. And, and, Queen's and, and her, Gambit. That sounds like her, made up. But her her eyes go in different <laughs> directions already. Yeah, so they're it's very like wide she would apart. Be perfect. She looks like again the pressure is already making her head yeah. explode. So I think and you know this, this could Anya. be like an an Owen Anya. Wilson comeback. Anya Joy. Yeah. Wow. 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 <laughs> Just looking out the window the whole time. Wow. Wow. <laughs> if anyone listening wants to wants us to begin hit doing us up. Goldie's ready to Hoover up some money. <laughs> Um, well, so I love, I, I love, I really am. <laughs> I love that we got to the uh, Titanic submersible from our first day back at work. <laughs> That's where it led Goldie. The Plinko chip well, dropped into well, Titanic. Well, how was it submersible. for you? I mean, at the end of the day, we performed all our bits for you, as like the uh, courtiers coming to the king for his yes. approval. And yeah. waiting for all the, the thumbs jesters. up or the thumbs well, down. I will. I will say on a serious note that um, I really did enjoy that. And when the fun. rooms, when the rooms came back and performed their bits and cutaways and jokes and stuff like that, in particular, I mean, both rooms were very funny, and everybody, you know, it was like a, a day of like everything's in, yay! But yes. your your room in particular, there were definitely moments where I recognize, oh, there's a Goldie line. That's oh. a Goldie line. Like I, I could feel them. And the hilarious thing was, and, and confirm this for me, Goldie, Hentiman fucked up one of your jokes. No, that was I. The it, it was the Smash Mouth thing, which yeah. that was not mine. But I oh, loved no. that joke. I was like, <laughs> can well, I the, ask? The, oh, yeah, go ahead, Jason. No, I want to interrupt. This is funny, but I wanted to know for people who are listening. When you say people come in to perform for you, yeah. So you yeah. guys go off to these rooms and you write, you you pitch all your jokes, and you guys go back into a bigger room, and then yes. you literally perform the jokes. Yes, correct. Wow. And and but the funny thing was because of COVID, you know, we've been we were on Zoom for quite a while. And we we got away from that and it turned into just the, the room would simply send in uh, oh. their pages to to me and Rich. Wow. And we would read them and then choose. But it used to be for years and years that the rooms would come back into the main room and like a little minstrel show, they would perform yeah. can, these acts. 
Can I explain the bit so people know? Yes. This is yes. really yes. funny. Well, I think let's, when I explain let's, it to let's you. Let's set it up. Set it up with, uh, so Mark Kentiman is a hilarious writer. Yes. He's been on the show forever. And, and, He's a genius. He's he's not just yes. a comedic genius. He's like a real estate genius. He's a yeah. genius. He's yes. a genius. He's we a love genius. him. So yeah. anyway, but you know, we were, and and in his defense, we very quickly had to assign parts to scramble into the room. So like when you get assigned a part, you may not be reading ahead and know I have these lines. So basically, he sort of like missed his cue. Cue. And okay. but, which threw off the timing and maybe made the bit seem not as funny. But the first part yes. of the bit was Lois is watching Stanley Tucci on TV and thinking it's like the sexiest thing he's ever seen. She's ever seen as he's like, you know, have you ever seen a man with a bald head and hairy arms slice zucchini? You know, and she's like, ah, ah. And then, you know, he says like three of these things about bechamel sauce, whatever. And then um, as Lois is like approaching orgasm, she's like, I just love a sophisticated man. And at that moment, Peter bursts through the door crying and he's like, Lois, did you hear? <laughs> the lead singer of Smash Mouth just died. <laughs> and then he's like, they're dropping like flies. And she's like, hell. And he, he goes, guys who look like pineapples. Anyway, it was a Damien Fahey joke. It was really funny. But for right. some reason, whatever Mark did, like, threw off the time. And it just didn't get what, like... Yeah. <laughs> and and this is a thing, by the way, that whatever you think going in is the funniest thing that will kill will never be the funniest thing yes. and yep. will never kill. And like, no matter how many times it happens, you will never ever learn that that is the case and you will be freshly surprised yep. each time and as angry as you've ever been about it right. <laughs> since the first time. It, yep. it never, and maybe more. <laughs> That's the whole chain of events was so funny. Well, the, the funnier thing to me was like, so Mark was not in your room and you guys came back oh. with all these bits. And so no, he, he was, was in our room. He was. Oh, in our he room. was. No, that oh, was well, the thing. He wasn't yeah. in the other room. Right. And then they threw him a line and he just killed he did, yeah. he did the, the room he wasn't in and he wasn't a part of. He's just hitting home runs and yeah. like getting all their shit in the script. And we're like, what are we? We've been working with you all day. And you just <laughs> missed the line that we were. That's yeah. hilarious. So it just goes into all these things. And by the way, we've all done it. Yes. Course, uh, yeah, oh, imagine. yeah. Yes. We've all yeah. done it. And I, and I love, I, I have this thing that I, with Mike D, one of our very funny writers, yeah, who w whenever we're in a, that large setting where people are pitching their bits in the room and somebody stumbles over a line, even if it's the tiniest stumble, <laughs> Mike D and I will always exchange sort of a sh head shaking look <laughs> like we just always catch eyes with each other like, well, that got fucked up. <laughs> so, it, is, it does screw it up, though, with the crazy thing is like then you can't see the material without the tint of yes. the performance. And it's, it's amazing. It's over. It's amazing yeah. how 20 writers, many of whom who have been working for 20 plus years cannot get past a small stumble in the delivery yeah. of a line. Like, w even though we know, okay, when this is recorded, it's all going to go perfectly, yeah. you still, in that moment, it the bit is ruined for you. Yes. Like, you're just, you just move on without any kind of, you know, <laughs> compunction. You're just yeah. like, nope, that's not it. it. It's like you fell down the stairs on a date or something. And then <laughs> right, it's like, right. well, you, you on paper yeah. might be like the greatest guy in the world, but they just saw you fall down the stairs. <laughs> right. like, I know. Crazy. Yeah. Bobert, Bobert's not grabbing your, your Johnson in the theater after you <laughs> fell down those stairs. 
Um, well, anyway, that was the long way of saying it was a very fun first day back. Yeah. Um, I was exhausted by lunch. I was telling JC that because I'm just not used to using my brain for that long in a row. Yeah. I'm used to watching, you know, love boats and datelines and whatever the fuck. Dateline. But so, you know, it, it, it's it's awesome being back. It was great seeing you and everyone else and in person. And that was very fun. Yeah, so, maybe and, we reconvene around March. Yeah, March, March, April. Let's not sweat it. I like that. Idea. Um, But we, we weren't the only ones who had a big day yesterday because... Uh, JC here, JC, you got the results. You and Stu yes. got your results back from Twenty Three and Me. Hey, hang uh, on one second. I just have yeah. to ask you: You're not related, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, oh, thank you. you. Okay, you. We didn't want it to Go be on. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, to tell us a little bit about some of the stuff you learned that surprised you, or, okay. or what was interesting about it. Okay. So, um, I am Filipino, yeah. but my whole life, Filipinos have always been like, "You're not Filipino," and some people have even said, "You're Chinese," and I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm Filipino." But I'm also quite tall for a Filipino. I'm about five mm-hmm. nine. I'm five nine and some change. So, I learned that I'm seventy percent Filipino. Yes. Twenty percent. Taiwanese, which if you know anything about the people from Taiwan, they are known to be tall. Like that's like Jeremy Lin is a Taiwanese American um, who's also very tall for what they consider tall for Asians. So that explains my height. But wow. uh, yeah, I thought that Little was pretty... island hopping. Yeah, there's uh, island hopping. If... Yeah, and, and also you know to be to be thought of as as part Chinese and then to find out you're actually part Taiwanese. I mean that's yeah. th- that's a famous old school battle that's been going yes. on for centuries. Right, and it's very. Um... It all feels a little made up, but okay. Yeah, I well, know. Well, that's that's what I I have these thoughts of like read that like check and go. No, well, when wrong, people, and when go, people no, talk right. about. It's like when people talk about your past lives, like everyone's always like, you were a king. And it's yes. like, all right, is yep, somebody just a guy picking up shit in a field? Like, because that would be me. <laughs> um, but so so there was there were some other uh, revelations in this yes. uh, that, that sort of told you about what your life should or could be. Yes. So one of the things that came up that both Stu and I were kind of excited about was they, I paid a little extra for like the health analysis. They could give you all these predictions and what your body was made for. So one of them (laughs) is, um, it's called a muscle composition. Mm. And it's saying that my genetic muscle composition is that of an elite power athlete. Yes. Whoa. So I know. So it means uh, it's not endurance, but twitch muscles are that yeah. of an elite <laughs> power athlete, which oh. kind of cracks me up because I really chose not my, my career yeah, had right. nothing to do with that. I did. I R.I.P. Did. Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wait. <laughs> hey, gone. Oh, yeah. oh, God. That's dark. But... <laughs> So that night, actually, when we found out, my parents... I've never really played much ping pong. Oh, here we and go. My, <laughs> and my parents play ping pong every night. And wow. my parents have like told me about this. So I'm sitting there watching them, and my mom says, come on, get up here. And I was like, I don't really... Well, get up here, know. Twitch. So I get up there, and I'm like, still... I realize I do have to understand the timing of my reaction to where the ball is. And I start... I can... I can feel that I'm understanding it pretty quickly. And like within maybe, I don't know, an hour, this part comes out where like if the ball is at the right 
spot, I just can't help but smash it. You know? Yeah, that's so Taiwanese. <laughs> I know. I know. It's in my blood, Goldie. <laughs> and you're you're four percent Forrest Gump, I guess. <laughs> I know. So yeah, we were just like it was. I enjoy it. I was definitely all right. So into we it. got we got ninety percent. What was what was the other ten percent? Is there anything so, in there? Yeah, so there's some Siberian, which is oh, kind of oh, that's fun. cool, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. and then, <laughs> and then um, there was another one that my my mom wasn't buying. She was like um, Dutch. It's uh, can you imagine that? That's what we were looking for because we thought, oh, maybe I have some some sort of European Eastern European. One. Yeah, so I do have um, Northern Indian and Pakistani, the point nine percent. And then trace ancestry, which is 0.3% of Spanish and Portuguese. So basically, oh, oh, and also 0.5% Japanese. So every oh. conqueror that's gone Don't through make the that Philippines. Noise. That's terrible. <laughs> I said, oh. Okay, you did it again. It was not a Japanese. It wasn't, as my <laughs> okay, dad would you say. Have a lot that, to answer for. As, as my dad would say, <laughs> that, wasn't a, that wasn't about Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> no, my mom hits that S in Chinese. Chinese, yeah, is that yeah. a thing? Um, but yeah, so I every agree. conqueror that's gone through the Philippines, I, ha- I have a little bit of that. Um, yes. But okay. one thing about Stu's results was that he felt like oh, he was a little boring, but... Take vitamin is- D. That they just, that <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he just opened it. It was a big... That's all it was on. An eight and a half by 11 sheet it's of paper. kind of like that. In 60 point font. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. So he's 99%, you know, UK and Northern Ireland. But then there's Whoa. this 0.1% Ashkenazi Jew. Yeah, I married a Jew, guys. Oh, that's so great. Oh, well, so he's one of the tribe and he's Ashkenazi too, which is I I pointed out to you when you mentioned this to me. That's 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 the weak Jew that I am. That's the Sephardic or the strong Jews and the Ashkenazis are the It's so funny in my wife's family uh because her her mom is Sephardic and they're they're you know as I say who's Sephardic yes but they're they're from Israel and they call Ashkenazi Jews uh, wuss wuss which is already hilarious but it, it doesn't mean like you're a wuss although it oh. kind of does but it but it means that's the sound that Ashkenazi Jews used to make because they were always questioning what the hell was going on. Like, what's, 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 what's? And so it's almost like we're like Fraggle Rock Muppets compared to the Sephardic Jews. What's, what's? Yeah, what's, what's? Which I, I love that term. I, I learned, this was about two years ago, that I, I thought my entire life that I was like all kind of Russian stock or whatever. And then yeah. I was yeah. informed by my mom. It's like, I thought I was Russian and German. Actually, okay. yeah, and then I was informed, like, oh no, like we were all Polish, and I was like, well, now I don't want to look any further. (laughs) (laughs) I said the only clue I had about my, and this isn't even a a genealogy thing. My great grandfather on my father's side, who I never knew, uh, his name was Bernard Sulkin, and somehow my dad, in his files and stuff, had. Bernard Sulkin's death certificate. And on it, it lists occupation. (laughs) And it just said, junk dealer. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I was like, oh, that seems about right. You carried on the tradition. (laughs) 
Um, well, all right. So we're we're glad to have gotten to the bottom of uh, who you are, JC. And me this, too. Th- just know that this twenty three and me totally defines you. Now yes. you can't be anything else, right? Yeah. And when and when you come back to the office, we're playing ping pong because I I would Ooh. love to do that. I know, but then you're gonna maybe it's a special destroy- live pay per view event. We all <laughs> yes. have <a> ping pong. <laughs> Wait, no, I could need to I need to learn how to play more. I've only played once. Well, the, so. you, you learn by doing. Okay. You learn by, and you'll be frustrated because I'll be beating you and beating you and okay. you'll be frustrated and oh. you'll get better and better and better. Oh. And then you'll okay. beat me and we'll talk about it on the podcast. And then I'll, I'll like that uh, 80s Olympic hockey movie, I'll do the Kurt Russell again. <laughs> yeah, again. I'll blow the whistle again. <laughs> again. Again. You'd be a good trainer. That's funny. Yeah, that's again. right. He's your Mickey. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right. Well, we got that on the horizon. And another terrible thing on the horizon (laughs) is Johnny Jokes. Whoa. From Hollywood, where we're all back to work except the actors. Here's Johnny. We got a weak crop today. My my twenty three and me says these are all wuss wuss. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you heard this story. Craft uh, Craft has recalled over eighty thousand packets of American cheese singles. Uh, there was nothing wrong with them. Uh, it's just somebody at headquarters finally tasted one. Oh, oh they're not. Great. That is enough to get to the next joke. Yeah, exactly. And I've got I've got four of those. Uh, former, here's a sad story. Former Red Sox knuckleballer Tim Wakefield passed away last weekend after a prolonged bout with brain cancer. He gone. Yeah. Uh, family and friends who were by his side said he died pain free, and his spirit. Floated erratically up to heaven. That was a <laughs> bummer of a setup, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and I never, I never dug out of it. Uh, here we go. Here's a Literally little. Only one foot in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, singer Stevie Nicks, former Fleetwood Mac front woman Stevie Nicks, officially has her own Barbie figure. Yeah. Uh, the doll comes with a microphone, flowing dress, and a restraining order against Lindsay Buckingham. Oh. They do not get along. <laughs> wow. And here's the last one that I will stumble over. <laughs> stumble over. 
because I haven't been able to do it once while practicing. And you thought uh, his great-grandfather was a junk dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm carrying on the tradition. Stumbling. Uh, well, two people are dead after a rare shooting in a Dutch city. Uh, since most of our listeners know little about the area, let's just send our deepest sympathies to the people of Holland, Nether, Amsterdam, and Hagen. <laughs> you did it. I did it, and it wasn't even good when I did it. <laughs> Second Johnny, please All right, here we take go. the bloody baton. Well, <clears throat> Senator Dianne Feinstein has died. Oh. Yeah. He gone! <laughs> That's right. Uh, her body will be on display in the Capitol, where it's been on display for the last 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Meghan Markle has reportedly put herself in the running for Dianne Feinstein's seat. Uh, despite skepticism, Markle said she's incredibly serious about politics, adding, I'll marry whoever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, scientists announced they've made a huge leap forward in efforts to bring back extinct species. Mm. Yeah. So a little good news for Diane Feinstein. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. Love it. Tie-in. Okay. Well, <clears throat> hundreds of migrants have spent the last six months living at O'Hare Airport, creating a public health concern. Yeah. Uh, but officials say they finally found a plot of unused land to house the refugees. The end zone at Soldier Field. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Love that and, style. And finally, and finally, here we go. Uh, yesterday, a New Jersey man crashed his car through a police station while blasting Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the man is entering a plea of no contest. That was awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Good delivery on that last one. I really yes. meant to go, Shut up, no, 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 no contest. <laughs> I, like, I was like, my voice is going to give out. <laughs> it's well, good. we loved it. Yeah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Guys, <laughs> I am so excited for this guest. Uh, he was a friend and then I became a fan of his, <laughs> as opposed to, I think usually it goes, you're a fan of someone, you ingratiate yourself into their world. <laughs> then you become a friend. However, right. I met this guest through parenting, Ooh, and I kind of knew what he did, and we just 
kind of got closer. And then he has a fantastic new show that I'm a fan of. So here's who it is. His name is Blake Robin, a.k.a. Luxury, DJ, musician, songwriter, TikTok celebrity, and co-host of Sirius's XM's One Song, Hello Blake. Thank you for joining us. What's up, y'all? Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome, man. I I don't even know where to begin because I I think I just want to start by informing our audience about what you were best known for, and then we can go backwards and forwards. So I think they may have encountered you on TikTok in your persona luxury. Is luxury a persona or is it part of who you are? Luxury is definitely a persona and uh, it's a way of kind of hiding my true self. And but also kind of like, you know, it's in true everyone from David Bowie to, to Woody Allen. It's, it's a tried and true way of like having that extrovert inside feel safe and protected. It's, it's like, like the sunglasses. And, yes. <laughs> and the, like lots of protection, but I'm out there. I'm on the yes. show and I'm talking. So you are on TikTok and you are known for taking music clips, dissecting them into what are called stems, and then talking about the origins of this. It basically is the music appreciation class I wish I had. So (laughs) can you talk to us about how you sort of fell into this? Right. So Goldie's, if people are on TikTok or Instagram, you may have seen videos of me popping up talking about, I kind of have a catchphrase, and that is when I whisper, interpolation. And that was a fun, accidental Rob Schneider moment for me. I'm the making copies guy of TikTok. And that (laughs) happened because I was starting, well, it was the pandemic. Okay. So backing up, I'm a musician. I'm a producer and songwriter and DJ. And when the pandemic hit, half of that went away. I couldn't be a touring performer anymore. I couldn't, um, you know, I would go to Mexico City six times a year. Like I had a really fun career as uh, especially on the DJ side of things. So TikTok, it's pandemic times. I'm scrolling TikTok. I'm like, I think I can do, I think I've got something I want to do here because I've been collecting, as you alluded to, these multi-track stems. These are the component parts of famous songs. So I just have the isolated drums, isolated bass, isolated vocals. And as a fan of you know, pop music and rock and hip hop of, of the last 60 years, when you hear, for example, one of the first ones I ever got was Under Pressure. So uh-huh. the first time I ever heard like the acapella, you can kind of sense, you feel David Bowie and Freddie Mercury huddled over the same microphone. Like you have these moments where you're hearing the song Under yeah. Pressure you've heard a million times, but in a completely new way. And you really feel like you're in the room with the band, with the drummer, with the bass player, and you understand the song in a whole new way. And then as a musician, I was learning all kinds of stuff like, oh my God, these guys left a whole bunch of mistakes in, or or there was a whole bunch of like, you know, little imperfections that make the song great. I started to make DJ edits of some of these songs. One of them got me infamous um, for all of the people watching on YouTube. Instagram, (laughs) this is me in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I got written up because I did an edit that made the rounds of um, a song I can't talk about, but I will refer to it. Uh, Picture a bird and picture a a classic rock 70s band and picture a hotel and picture the state of California. Am I allowed to say it? Oh, yeah, I think you are. Already gone. 
<laughs> no. Turn, turn, turn by the birds. Nope. <laughs> Those are great guesses. I, 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 Rock and Robin. <laughs> I basically turned this overplayed staple of 70s you know, right. FM radio. One of my into favorite like songs ever. Hotel yeah. California. Yeah. Hotel, Let's just okay, say it. Fine. Let's just yeah. say it. Uh, I turned it Hostel into... California. <laughs> <laughs> I, I turned it in from the like radio staple into like a slowed down kind of cool disco edit. Something that I could imagine DJing myself cool. on like a rooftop in Berlin or at four right. in the morning in, you know, Delhi, India, where I've actually played. So that was the beginning of the next phase of my life because the next day I got a cease and desist from yeah. Warner Brothers. They made me take it down. Overnight, that was when the DJ career exploded because suddenly I was infamous for this moment. Wow. Um, I'm all of this is getting to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to, before we even get to that, because you brought up a few things I want to linger okay. on. I mean, okay. I mean first, I, that a cease letter would also contain a desist is shocking. Is <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs> so cease enough? I, I think people who are naive like me, not, not JC, because she is in your business, and maybe Alec to a certain extent, I don't know. But I'm under the impression, or I was, when I hear a piece of recorded music, what I heard was, the band played it straight through. Someone hit record. Yeah. Live to they two. said, guys, we got it. <laughs> Cut and went to the next song. Nailed it. But you're telling me, and, and I think what you do beautifully and how you show this, is that these great pieces of music are endlessly sort of created out of, it's, a, it's something that's knit from threads and not like printed out like a 3D printer. I think you're right. I think that's like one of the wonderful things about all art is the myth that as you're experiencing it, it was always just this way. Like that, the painting was always just, boom, there it was. Right. Yeah. But of course, you know, we know better than that in part of our brain, but we have this cognitive dissonance. Like it's three minutes long. It took three minutes to make. Yes. But yeah. yeah, it's someone explained this to me uh, in a way that I really like the analogy where, um, you know, it's more, it's less like a photograph and more like a painting. Like you're going back you're layering, you're kind of covering up something that wasn't quite right. The way that a song is constructed in the modern era with recording techniques is, is, is that way. So you do late, you know, the writing can be, you know, every now and then it's the kind of thing, take the Elton John, Bernie Topin example, like the writing of the, that song is, you know, Bernie is in his, you know, helicopter, you know, getting <laughs> off to wherever the Bahamas. And he's just like scroll, you know, writing lyrics like a like a demon and then at some point he shoves a bunch of them under reginald's door reginald's <laughs> white uh being elton john uh and he's like reg i got something for you here's here's 50 lyrics see what you can do and then he, so that's how they do it they don't he don't they don't have the music first in that no example. that's a unique example i gotta find my elton john where i'm just going uh leave on <laughs> sells balloons and then that person <laughs> is like we're a genius together <laughs> you hate leave on i don't know what the song leave on wants me to do about it <laughs> you know this but so i feel like i've i've interrupted you or you were about to go into well, you'd become in Infamous, and you were you had been Warner Brothers, our okay. great ally, hated you, and then you, <laughs> this was a springboard into something. There are so many ways to write a song. Was my point, and one of them might be that you've got a collaborator, and they do the lyrics, and you do the words, yeah, or vice versa. And then there's, as you were kind of alluding to, there's a band in the studio. They have a germ of an idea, but they're kind of jamming it out. The Under Pressure song is a perfect example of that. Like they had this, Queen had a germ of an idea 
which was doon 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 thought of by the bass player john deacon um and then they run into david bowie in montreux where they all have their fancy you know rock star homes (laughs) and they're like hey come on over and jam with us and the genesis of that song is that there was this existing musical idea that was just a riff that they'd repeat over and over and they didn't have you know, the next yeah. section. They didn't have the terror of knowing what this world is about. That yeah, I mean, didn't it, exist those yet. incredible lyrics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and the, the magic of the songwriting process is that it's always different. It's mm-hmm. never the same thing twice. And in that particular instance, because I, I have done a video about that, it's just the fact that Bowie happened to be in Montreux and now we have this iconic 42 years later, this iconic song that's still, you know, in the canon. It's still on the radio. It's still yeah. something that the mystery hasn't fully... <sighs> been erased i think for most listeners i I love that you're talking about this song because we have a family guy story a little bit about this song we we did it we did an episode uh which was our version of the terminator so we had at a certain point in the episode we had two uh peter griffins there there was one the normal one and the terminator one and so we were as we do writing, you know what funny three beats can we have with the two of them together so one of them was we wanted them to go do karaoke together and we had written it that they would sing under pressure together. <laughs> Seth gets in the booth here. You know, we said, Oh, we have a song reference for you. We, we, cause it helps him, you know, to get in key and whatever we play the song. Seth says, I have never heard this song before in my life. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, how is it that was possible? JC, and he goes to karaoke that? all the time, all the time. And, and also yeah. he, you can't, just by having radios exist yeah. in our life, but like you can't outside. avoid that. This is not that. a deep cut, guys. I know. Like, <laughs> I know. So that was a, a funny under pressure moment from from so our world. Did you? Did he stick with the song, or no. did you give him something else? No. What I can't remember what song we ended up going to. We went to another song. It's probably yeah. "Luck Be a Lady Tonight." I know. Yeah, <laughs> something, something, something like that. Something in the jazz. Yeah. Oh no, I know what yeah. it was. It was uh, we did uh, something that he had heard at karaoke many times, which is uh, "Here Comes the Hot Stepper." Oh yeah. By, oh, that uh, was that episode. Is it Camose? Yeah, I don't know that. Here oh, come yeah, yeah, the hot do. step of murderer in the lyrical gangster. Oh, murderer. <laughs> the dance hall. Yes. Yeah. Jamaican dance yeah. hall track. So he knows yeah. that song. He knows but that, not but not under pressure. pressure. <laughs> I mean, that's unusual. Yes. <laughs> this is what makes him the creative genius that we yeah. right. know and love. So, so you've, you've got these stems you're collecting as a hobby. Warner Brothers hates you. What happens next? What do you, well, how does that create your, your business? So the long and the short of that is there was an understanding. Now, I don't know if you know, do you know who DJ drama is? Do you know about mixtapes? And there's a phenomenon in the 2000s, like we've, 50 Cent becomes famous because of mixtapes. and The Grey DJ Album. Dr- the Grey yeah, Album, that's a great that. example. So these are bootleg, usually hour-long uh, compilations of existing instrumentals that a rapper, a new rapper often, but sometimes like Lil Wayne in between albums, like will just freestyle over it's faster than making 12 new songs mm-hmm. and it is a kind of tried and true uh, marketing technique you know record labels will pay artists to do this to put this together but also sometimes they will get the fbi to raid <laughs> the biggest <laughs> um, you know mixtape guy of his era which was dj drama uh 2007 I'm, I'm mentioning this because there's always this like push pull and very hypocritical one, frankly, of labels and the use and transformation, I should say, of the material. 
because one thing that's kind of a passion of mine is to get if you get nothing else from me being here like let's stop calling reuse or uh, transformation i should say of music uh like sampling for example let's stop yeah. calling that stealing it's not stealing it's right. a, even appropriation isn't the right word it's it's transformation because stealing it's like if you have a bicycle and I take your bicycle, I've stolen your bicycle. You don't have a bicycle anymore. Right. But if there's a melody or a musical idea or an, a composition and it's reused because it's sampled and you've added something new to it, that is a transformation. To me, yeah. that should be legal. It should be. It is a wonderful source of not just hip hop, but Art. before that, like I'm a huge Jamaican reggae dub fan. Like we have at least 50 years of transformation of existing material and by the way it goes back before that because the history of all music is taking old ideas and transforming them well i'm sure and, we'll get into that well today yeah a little more specifically. i mean because when you said that i i think it was one of your videos i watched that was uh the song creepin yeah the metro boomin and uh, just yeah, the the savage. incredible way you were able to point out the influences of this song can you go into that a little bit Sure. Uh, so this is a song by Metro Boomin, The Weeknd, and 21 Savage. came out last year. Uh, it's called Creepin'. It's essentially a cover of a 2004 song by um, Mario Winans and Diddy featuring oh, wow. Enya <laughs> called uh, I Don't Want to oh, Know. Of course. So oh, you, if you know one song, you know the other because yeah. they're essentially the same. But where it starts to get deep, and I think what Goldie was alluding to, is that the... Um, the wine in song from the I don't want to know has a sample of the Fuji song ready or not, oh, which is wow. from 1996. So we've already, okay, we've got three layers now, Yeah, but, but if you go a little deeper into the Fuji song, that is itself an interpolation of a Delphonic song from 1968 called yeah. ready or not. Ready Here or I not. come. You can hide. That's where that comes from. It, that yeah. melody is being reused by the Fuji's in their song. So by the time, and there's more, I mean, I'll get to more. Yeah, and then, like, and then re ready or not, here I come is uh, taken from hide and seek. <laughs> and it's, so there, that's you know. a really important. No, was, that's was like, that the one that, that came from Knight Rider as well? Or am I mixing up two videos? That's an, that's another, another story. Yeah. But what's, that's okay. a great point that Alec makes because there's a whole other side to this, which is, yeah, these are just things people say. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is a right. reference in the culture that nobody owns. Right. And I, you know, so in this particular story, there's another one more layer just in the Fuji's sample used on the Mario Winan song. Yeah. Because in addition to that interpolation, there's also a sample of an Enya song called Oh yeah. Boadicea, I think like, is how you pronounce it. That's it. That's, That's exactly it. what's going through the whole song is ooh. ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Um so Enya was going to sue the Fugees because they didn't get permission. But then in a pseudo-racist moment, she hears the song and is like, oh, this isn't gangster rap. I guess it's oh. okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she, clear, she clears it because Lauren Hill is not, you know, um, is not ice Objectionable. Yeah, 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 Objectionable, exactly. Oh, wow. So it, it meets her approval. Did she re-sing it? And I believe she re-sings it for the Enya song. I've already, you know, I'm losing track myself but we've wow, got five yeah. layers already on this creeping yeah. track wow. so i want to because we're going to go through some other songs but i just want to now at this moment go how do you know this shit yes yeah. <laughs> that's so 
I mean, look, I, it's incredible. I'm, it's like it's it's you're like an, a walking almanac. So, like, how did this begin with you? I, not that I want to destroy the myth of of how interesting I am as a person, <laughs> but I may have to do that right now if that's why we're friends. Okay, I have this knowledge. Here it goes. No, no. The fact is, it's a a lot of it is because there are incredible sources out there. One of my favorite websites, and if you don't know this website, I'm I'm giving up the game here. Um, willingly, because it's a great pleasure to use whosampled.com with okay. great frequency. You can type in the name of something, go deep. It's it's a crowdsourced uh, website where they track samples, interpolations. It's not always right. It's often enough correct, though, that as a starting point for research. I'll kind of start there. I'll With my own ears, I'll kind of double check. I'll look into the Wikipedia. I'll look into the BMI songwriting credits. And also because I have the stems and am a musician, there's an aspect of all of this, which is like, I'm, I know how stuff gets made and I kind of know what to listen for. Like, this is a synth, not a bass guitar, like little details like that, yeah. that I'm able to kind of pick apart. Uh, as JC will probably understand from her sand experience, it's like the longer you're kind of listening with that level of detail because you're making stuff, yeah. it, there's another layer beyond just looking up on Wikipedia. But but all of these things combined get me as close as I can to telling the story and feeling confident. But by the way, this is relevant. I still have a level of like, now that I am becoming, for the last three years making these videos and now the podcast, and I'm also writing a book, for mm-hmm. Oxford University, which comes out next year. All right. So wow. I'm suddenly on the other side of it. And I don't know if I'm not quite a journalist, but I guess I am a little journalisty, a little writery. I want to get things right. And what I've learned, and I can only imagine all writers and teachers through history already knew this, is like, you can never really feel fully confident that you know the entire story every yeah. which way. I think everything's a little bit of a Rashomon. Like the, sh- the credits shift from like yeah. I was doing a Beyonce story and I updated it, oh. and the the credits shifted from last year to this year on Renaissance. Uh, the recording itself, there's a, a Khalees. There was um, a song that Re- Beyonce put on Renaissance, her album last year, I think called Energy, and she has kind of an homage to Khalees's milkshake in it. Well, when the song came out, Khalees was unhappy, and that's its own story. So she took <laughs> it off. So there are now there's if you get the song now on Spotify, it's different. It's been revised. So it doesn't have the milkshake interpolation. But my vinyl copy does multiply that by 10 billion. And that's how telling these stories is always complicated. So but where did it this begin? So childhood, Blake, you're you're in San Francisco, correct? You're we and then Mm -hmm. do you. Are, are you taking a piano lessons? Are you just, are, are your parents musical? Like, what was the genesis of all this for you? Right. No, that's um, the genesis is piano lessons at five with Betty Wu. And then at nine, I'm like, Betty, sorry, not interested. <laughs> not <laughs> picking up what you're putting down. And I feel terrible about that, but I'm glad I had those four years. Yeah. And then did in- you did you have like an early proclivity for it? Like did you have perfect pitch or were you not only did instantly I not- advancing and people were like, Wow, this kid is is a real natural <laughs> So or- so so not that that like in high school <laughs> I had two best friends that were the musical geniuses 
and I loved them as people and I loved music and I was a fan, but I couldn't hang. Like they were just like wailing on guitar. Oh, wow. Well, in order to like keep up with my homies, I like became a drummer so I could just hang out with them. Um, <laughs> awesome. But I had a great deal of musical intimidation for a long time. Like it took me a long time to even write my first song. I had a whole career in advertising and internet marketing. Like I didn't write a yeah. song till I was like 30. So, so, so talk about that. So you you get out of high school and you have this passion for music. And are, is any part of you thinking, oh, I should try to go to Berkeley? Or I have Jewish parents. Okay, I'm not the only one in this in this yep. quad. Yeah, oh, sure, sure. And that was not really an option. Like <laughs> that was not going to happen. I wanted to go to Berkeley or Oberlin. Oh yeah, where one of those two friends did go. Yeah, uh, Alex Mandel. Shout out to my bro, my bro, my boo. nice. And uh, no, I went to, I didn't, I went to Georgetown, fine school, oh. but like, I, I spent a whole decade not doing what I really wanted to do. Yeah. I was and were avoiding... you doing music at Georgetown or were you just sort of like, I'm a diplomat now. I'm putting it's like, it's like, behind it's like... me. Diplo. <laughs> diplomat. Diplo. I, I, I was a completely lost soul at Georgetown. It took a long time for me to find any, even that first now abandoned career where I was an internet expert. Um, that that, only that is crazy to me. So it was it just because I we were about the same age and I got like pushed into things out of college because I was a young person who could fix the printer and change the toner. So they would just these old like boomers who didn't, I think, realize how big the internet was or was going to be, were like, you're our tech guy. You're our tech specialist. And I'll, you know, close all the deals. And then I, I personally was involved with the, um, they would shoot these CEO presentations for NBC through CNBC. They would air them on CNBC. And then I would call the companies and sell them like web video of their presentations for $500 a pop. And I became in this division, the third leading salesperson <laughs> the first month I did this. Wow. Uh, I did because- this. And so, like, I'm wondering, like, what were you, what were you doing in the this internet? Is, this is similar. This is similar. All of my 20s was internet um, being a new thing, and I had been there since day one. So I, yeah, I moved San to Francisco, New York. Yeah, San Francisco, I imagine, yeah. Well, I mean, actually, it was because I worked for a company in Washington, D.C., uh, like, straight out of school. I was, like, an intern. But the, the <laughs> I'll never forget, the night... I was staying late working on something and this other nerd was like, hey, check this out. And it was the Mosaic browser. And oh. I was, and that was the first experience I or anyone had surfing the internet. Like yeah. before yeah. there was Netscape, before there was Internet Explorer, Chrome, like this was the first thing yeah. straight out of, what is it, NCSA or whatever that, no, University of Chicago, Urbane, whatever. This is, wow. this is right. arcane. The point <laughs> is, is that I was there at ground zero of the internet. Yeah. So a year later, I moved to New York and I got hired as the head of internet, basically. <laughs> I'm, I'm skipping a few steps, but I'm like 24, 25. And I, I was literally pitching accounts with 40 and 50 year old heads of the other departments. They'd wheel me in yes. as like, here's the young guy who knows I the internet. I did this as well, yes. Oh that was, that's so funny. <laughs> yes. That's, that, that's and, my and 20s. And there was once we went into Goldman Sachs and the guy had his presentation on a laptop he couldn't get his laptop started. And and so he turns to me. And at that point, because, you know, I was broke and I was not high up at the company, 
I had never touched a laptop. So <laughs> right, that was, was for fancy people. Yeah, he was like, he, he said, he this guy knows everything about it. He's going to get it working. So we're in with like very high up people at Goldman Sachs. And I don't know like even what one button does, how it turns on anything. So I'm fumbling with it for a while. And then I, I turn and I say like, yeah, Mike, I think we're going to need to like take a pause here and take a beat <laughs> while we, because uh, some of the software seems to be like, Great improv. and, <laughs> and <laughs> there was a young analyst on the other side of the table, uh, this, this woman who was like my age. And I turned to her and I went, I am so fired. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't crack a smile. Oh, Darn it. And no. were you fired? Were you right? No, because they they were too stupid to even know like, where to get another person. But so you're doing this stuff. And yeah, and uh, I'm sitting in with in ret- it's crazy because I sat in, in early meetings with Mark Cuban came to pitch whoa. me because he his first company was Real Audio. Do you remember this? Yeah, sure. Real Audio. Uh, yes. That was like the first well, I thought it was broadcast. It was not broadcast. I think he was bought by broadcast.com, but he okay. was real audio co-founder, whatever. And he came to pitch my ad agency in like the mid nineties. I think he was already like a billionaire. Like we were already kind of like right. Mark Cuban, but it wasn't this era Mark Cuban. <laughs> so were you and doing then, creative at this agency? Were you even writing jingles say? No, 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 no. I was in charge of the division. So Wow. wow. I can't believe what a rabbit hole this is. Like, I haven't thought about this stuff. But like, I had been exposed to at my first job, I would like go help the programmers and kind of look over their shoulder. I would go to the designers, yeah. the producers, all of the like different component parts that we were making CD-ROMs, because that was the product at the time. Right. Remember CD-ROMs? Enhanced of CD, CD uh, yeah. Plus. Yes. So we would make this video extra content. Um, and so that was something I was exposed to. Therefore, I could speak all of their languages. And are you doing any music at this point? Oh, God, no. And that's the sad thing. Like, I'm so happy that this era ended. And I had, this experience was very useful. Yeah. And I got acquainted with how to communicate with engineers, which is different from communicating with marketers, which is different from communicating with, you know, the CEO. Like, it was a great crash course in I suppose, business for lack of a better word. And that made it so that when I started doing music, I at least had this foundation of how to like get stuff done. So what happened though, when you started doing it? So you, you know, were you then luxury making disco tracks or were you like, what what was your entree into that? The really quick story is that I go to San Francisco to take a job offer from Red Hat, who are a huge Linux company that are about to go public and my friend's company just got bought by them. And he's like, okay. he, they, they, they gave me lots of money. They said, I can hire anyone I want. I want you. And I was That's like, amazing. I'm ready to leave New York. Sick of New York summers. Do not enjoy them. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, ready. I mean, I'm from San Francisco. I, sounds good. And I was already yeah. feeling like this Silicon Valley thing was happening. And, and I was like, stock oh. options. Sto- <laughs> that was me. I literally yeah. walked outside one day and said to my then girlfriend, you are looking at a millionaire. Because <laughs> I had it on paper and then I lost it all. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a millionaire. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> also sorry, married, ladies. but like, sorry, ladies, in the figurative <laughs> sense. Double um, sorry. <laughs> sorry to one particular lady. And then yes. uh, oh my the God. entire. Yeah. All the ladies are mad at me because I'm not a millionaire. And um, <laughs> that was the beginning Some of the of guys, me. too. Yeah. Basically, everyone is pissed at me. <laughs> Still pissed at me. He's oh. not recovered. And he's such a sunny guy. Seems like a great guy. 
Very generous man. No, I, you know what? I literally we have to cut that because I signed okay. something that says I can't talk about him. Okay, okay. <laughs> I can't. I can't tweet can, about can, him. Can yeah. we talk about him? You can. Okay. <laughs> proximity. Yeah. There's nothing about like a proximity clause. Don, so. Don Henley seems like a real kind of joyless guy, um, and he, <laughs> as a fan, yes, as a fan, I, I really. love, I love the Eagles. Same. Uh, and the I, documentary. I, I, we I, I, I'm sorry, I, I said that wrong. I love Eagles. I know it's not the Eagles. But, Very good point. <laughs> um, <laughs> Henley, when I was in high school, I, w- I went to high school in Concord, Massachusetts. Uh, Henley did this thing where he was gotten a very public fight with the Massachusetts state government over the Walden Pond woods. So Walden mm-hmm. Pond is where Thoreau, you know, lived and wrote, and it's like a you know, a park now and all this. And so he heard that that they were going to develop in those woods, and he made a very public you know, big cause celeb about, you know, slamming the government and all that kind of stuff. What he didn't realize initially was that it was like a small portion on the edge of the woods where Massachusetts was by uh, building low income housing for people who like couldn't afford, you know, to live in the suburbs. And so then he became the poster child of like fighting against single (laughs) women of color. You know, it was just an (laughs) awful look for him. It's it's like that. Don't say anything about him. Don't no. say anything about him. Stop. Don't but otherwise, you. so you're you're you've got stock options. You're in San Francisco. I assume you're miserable I inside. Story- <laughs> I had no idea this this podcast would go down this path. It's fun to like think about this. I haven't thought of it. No, it's like well, another like, lifetime. It's ago. useful for writers, yeah, because so many writers okay. like like me. You know, there are writers who go to Harvard and then they graduate and then they're instantly on a show. But then there are people like me who it was. Two months before my 30th birthday, before I was a professional writer. That's so, it's very interesting, our parallels, Goldie. I didn't write my first song, as I mentioned. And that was its own journey of like yearning. (laughs) Like I'm I'm primarily a drummer. So that means if you're a drummer and you haven't figured out, which took me a while, how to write songs and or produce them, you're just waiting for a call. (laughs) You're waiting for somebody else to say, we need you. Okay, good night. And right. that was my life for a long time. In New York, when I lived in New York, Tony Dinoff, good friend of mine, but like, you know, the story was, I thought I was in a band with Tony because he'd call me and be like, hey, let's go down. Do you know where Arlene's Grocery is? Yeah, in, place. Yes. Yeah, okay, Soho, Lower East Side. Across the street, if you open the grate in the yes, sidewalk downsta- and go downstairs. I've rehearsed there. You did? Yes, I have rehearsed there. I can't remember. Oh, with- That's um, insane. Chantal Claret, I think for... Yes, I know Chantal. <laughs> yes, I rehearsed with her. I didn't Amazing. know she rehearsed there. I met her later in LA. Morningwood. Morning Morningwood, yeah. yeah. That's um, funny. <laughs> that is a really funny coincidence. Yes. I mean, it's this dank, rat-infested space <laughs> with a drum kit that JC and I have both been to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you're not a real New Yorker, so you guys, you know, if you really... <laughs> Come with, <laughs> hang out with us. And then I would, we would kind of jam and like, I'd be like, all right, so do you want to put, you know, set up a show or do you want to write a song? But basically it was just, you know, he was needing to play guitar and take off, you know, the stress of being a New Yorker. So like that was oh, right. one of many stories, but all of my drumming in my 20s stories end with nothing happening. Right. Like Correct. no songs, no gigs and like no power. So like I figure out, okay, I got to figure out how to write some songs. Pro Tools comes into existence and changes my life. 
because Pro Tools works for my brain. And Pro Tools and any DAW is just using your computer like a word processor for music. Because prior to that, if you're writing a song, it's either in your head because it's the 1800s or, you know, four track (laughs) technology. You kind of like layer things, whatever. That didn't work for me. Like, I just need to see everything and rearrange it. That's yeah. the yeah. bottom line for I'm me. And that's similar. true with everything, with words, with with making the videos. Like, I can't, in my head, my, I get uh, uh, stuck like this. <laughs> I get yeah. the in headlights, like, describing it. Um, so Pro Tools exists. I take five years of my four-track recording riff. So what that means is a four-track is you, like, hit record and you play something. And then if you want to hear it again, you rewind it. Or you move on to the next thing. And before you know it, you've got like a tape filled with like lots of ideas. But then what? Right. (laughs) My life was like, then what? I transferred all of that into Pro Tools so I could go, oh, this could be the verse riff. This could be the chorus. And that was how I started to write songs. But thank God for Pro Tools existing and being affordable. That was the other thing. I bought the first affordable version, the 001, which cost a thousand bucks. Yeah. Um, so that was it. That's out. how. I, so I, if, and that, but I know you yeah. you did work as a songwriter, right? For like one of these songwriting yes. houses. Oh, right. So that is the so next did, chapter. Did begins. you get on their radar yeah. from like a mixtape or from like how did you or did you just send them? Here's my stuff, and they said like you could well, write for, you know, Christina Aguilera. Or, again, I feel like if I had been born ten years sooner, this. It would have been very different. But because I'm coming up in an era where, okay, Pro Tools, first of all, I just described why that's valuable. Yeah. Second of all, songwriting equals mixing, equals production, equals final product in this era, like never before. You don't have to rent a studio, $800 a day, whatever, engineer, you know, hire musicians, whatever. I have the capability because I already had some sort of basic bass and keyboard skills yeah. But I had time and a tool to slowly piece together kind of like the stems I'm describing. Okay, here's a drum beat. And then I'm going to layer on, you know, these two riffs that I found for my riff tapes from five years worth of four tracks that just weren't going anywhere until this moment. And then I'm like, oh, this kind of sounds like a song. Oh, here's a melody. I'm gradually piecing together my first songs. And by the way, they happen to be finished compositions that are mixed and recorded because it is the year 2003 or four or whatever it is at this moment. Yeah. And that first, the end product is 12 songs and a cover and it's all ready to go. And I send that out and a publisher hears it and they say, I actually got a phone call. This is a crazy story. I send out my demo and one of the first pieces of feedback I ever get is, uh, I hope you don't mind. We've gone ahead and pitched this to Pontiac <laughs> And what? they want to use it in a Pontiac ad, uh, which is also, by the way, for the new Transformers movie. Oh, and by wow. the way, Megan Fox will be in the ad. Uh, oh my is that God. cool with you? Whoa. Thumbs- so cool? then did you did you turn to the woman you were with and say, you're looking at a $10,000 ad? <laughs> that, that phrase, that's, that, that's my other catchphrase, not just but that you're looking at guy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no. That, so that's but, cool. I mean, that must have been incredible. That was yeah. an instant like, publishing like deal, too, because they're like, we want to sign you from this. And, and you didn't write, we build excitement. Pontiac. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the song. <laughs> I was thinking, I was in the Somebody same. Somebody did. I was in the same era with the, I remember, Goldie, you probably remember this, too. 
uh, get on your Pontiac and ride. Pontiac <laughs> ride. They were always oh, very rock. Your album was called Pontiac. It just happened to be, and they were like, you know, this is interesting. <laughs> so that must have been amazing. So you just said, like, I've kind of made it. And because, again, now this is yeah. where, talking about at the beginning, not realizing that stuff wasn't played live to tape, I assume when I bought an album or heard a song and they say, this is this song by this person, that that person had likely written the song. But right. well, that's not the case. The segue is that this publishing deal directly need, leads to the next sort of chapter, which is that I am now a co-writer. And you're right. My job is, I'm still in San Francisco, so I'm flying down to L.A., or driving down, really, for what they're paying me. Um, it's uh, a monthly thing where I'll, I'll be um, top in line? L.A. for a week and co-writing. So I'm the ch- I'm in charge of music, and somebody who's a stranger oh. comes into my studio, and they're in charge of the top line, which means the lyrics and melody. And it's a really fun job that I did. Is that a musician, either. or is that like the t- quote talent? So because I'm oh. new. At yeah. the early stages, when you're just starting, you're all equally nobodies. So, okay. Uh, but this job, to your point, I had no idea existed either. I think, you know, you hear the song, like you said, it's kind of fully formed. When you see Britney Spears's face, you're assuming, oh, she's singing a song she wrote. You know, but it's really more like a movie where when you see Brad Pitt's face, you're pretty sure, well... He may have had some involvement. You always see his damn executive producer credits. Maybe he's not a good example. But for the most part, we kind of can disconnect an actor from the screenplay. We understand these are coming from different people and whatever. That's how pop music works, too. So I was part of the pop music Is that the genre you're operating in? And I'm operating in pop music. Exactly right. So the goal, my publisher says, here is this person. You guys, um, here's who's looking this week. And these publishers... Publishing, by the way, being the aspect of music making, which is the song composition side as opposed to the recording side. So you've got. And it's kind of where a lot of the money is, right? Um, it dep- it's actually less money than it should be because yeah. publishing and uh, master recording, this is a very quick, boring thing. Yeah. They are both kind of 50 50 to oversimplify okay. monetarily. Um, in some areas, like a sync, if you're in an, an ad, a, if your song makes it to an ad, but if Onyek. you download the song or listen in other areas, the master, the recording is valued far more highly huh. than the publishing, which is out of every dollar, it's about 12 cents. That number is changing, but it's I'm beginning it's to see why JC agreed to do this. <laughs> it's the nerd, the musical nerding. Let me record everything. Deep I will own the masters. <laughs> yeah. You can keep the lion's share of our sixty dollars. <laughs> so, are are there any like uh, people you're writing for that we would have heard of, or any any? Here's like the closest that? I came to fame and stardom was. Um, so I did this for three years. Every week I write. You know, you meet maybe five, six, seven sessions a week. A stranger comes in, you sit down, you vibe, you get to know each other. Hey, what's going on? What should we do today? Our publisher said that J-Lo's looking for a new song. I totally All right, let's this. try to write. What do you, you think have... she would want to talk about? A Pontiac. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not all roads lead there. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you've usually um, got the, the meat, ideally, of at least a chorus. or You've started something that you can finish later, but that feels like, all right, we've got something. Or yeah. more often than yeah. not, I don't think we have anything. So I didn't have anything for the three years. I wrote zero <laughs> hits. I mean, but I, yeah. 
Yeah, no. I, go I, have, ahead. I have like maybe 40 songs where I wrote the top line and I co-wrote top line. I sang them and there was also the producer who was doing what you were doing and they went nowhere but yeah. it's just funny to listen back to them and be like we oh my need God. to record an album of your songs <laughs> yes i mean i have the unsold I'll, demos i will send them to you guys <laughs> one day we are them. going to do this yes. it's our, yeah they're pretty like I, everyone has a produced. vault everyone yeah, has true. a vault and it's a bit sad because yeah. yeah these songs will never see the light of day Unless you do what you just described. Yes, um, we're doing it. Actually, you know, Mac DeMarco just did a really awesome thing where he did an album. I don't know how many. I think there's like 300 just what? ideas. And yeah. they all are titled. And we all are familiar with this. They're all titled the date he made them. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm tired of like the ratio of ideas that you start to like, oh, let's keep working on this to like, all right, this is a good yeah. song. We're going to finish it. Oh, it's making the album. You go from a thousand to 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. everybody has this. So Mac DeMarco actually just put them out. If you go on Spotify, wow. you'll see every song title is a number. That's <laughs> and there's so like cool. 100 or 200 of them. So that's so funny. And are you, because sometimes this happens in the family guy room, say, I, I'm about to say something, I'm about to pitch. And then I think to myself, Oh, but this is so good. I could maybe use this <laughs> I want to keep for, it for myself, myself at yeah. some point. And if I say it now and it gets Wait, in. You do that? Come on. <laughs> Jesus did, Christ. Did you, did you feel player. like Come you were on, ever bro. doing that where you were pitching them stuff or you were giving them stuff you thought was great that you're like, they're too stupid to realize how good this <laughs> is? You know, if I could take back that whole era now, I would do it very differently. But at the time, first of all, my production skills were not what they currently are. You know, normal. Ten years later, I'm ten years better. But listening back it's like i was so off the mark i really thought my, my I, what i was doing was the opposite what you should do if you're trying to make a pop hit is kind of go 90 percent the template of what's already out there and what's already working and then the 10 percent you sprinkle on top is something you know unique or that's you you, know, you bring your if your thing is adding tubas you know you'll put a tuba on it and it's like oh that's the tuba guy yeah. um i did it the opposite i i was like all right let's Take 10%, which would be like verse, chorus, verse. Like, that'll be the structure. But everything else is going to be the stuff I think should be on the radio. Like, disco <laughs> drums and dusty this and that. And it, 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 it did not work at all. Like, nobody used anything except, here's my one story, which goes back to your question about, did I work with anyone famous? I did one track with a wonderful songwriter named Bonnie McKee, oh, who yeah. at the time wow. was in the next room after working with us till like, 12 in the morning she'd stay up till five and she co-wrote Katy perry's hit I mean, record she's written so much wow california girls uh, yeah. teenage dream she did all those tracks with Katy perry and then she did tayo cruz's dynamite she's yeah. a massive hit maker but in that moment she was just my buddy and we were doing this track together so cool. which nice. was the biggest thing i did and it was used on an episode of csi miami Woo! <laughs> yeah. It's an episode where the lead character is a young girl who's meant to sort of evoke a Hannah Montana type figure who's in double identity. She's tired of being a singer. She sings our song on stage. And the wow. lyric is, if that's love, then I'm gone. And she blows up. <laughs> yes, from your song. Yeah. Wait, she, blo so she blows up figuratively show, or literally? Up. She blows okay. up exploding like Spinal Tap drummer style. So, so it's a green globule, the, more like in a the sting. reality of the show. Your song was used as something that's like. Then when she did the real thing that would never work and that people wouldn't like, <laughs> yes, that she precisely. believes has integrity, then she explodes. It's a real metaphor for that's, art. So are you DJing at this point too, or are you? 
had you had you begun um, your DJ career? This is the beginning of my living in LA, so it's 2012. I started to make the edits that led to that Wall Street Journal thing the next year. And that okay. so it's funny because I was just thinking that the, I really never do anything for more than like three years. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully <laughs> this podcast and making books and all that, like, because yeah. I'm really enjoying this chapter where I'm adding to making music and performing it, um, like the talking about it, because it's yeah. all the same thing. It's like being a DJ. You just want to share what you're passionate about. So yeah. that's yeah. kind of what the stems are for me with the TikToks and the book and the podcast so, one song. It's sharing the stems. Yeah, I've cool. always wondered about DJing. Yeah, go ahead. Because, you know, like you hear about like Steve Aoki, he makes $400,000 <laughs> a night. And and then you, you know, my in my experience, which is going to a club for like Alex bachelor party 20 years ago or whatever. And it's like, my experience is like, God, this is just so loud. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. It's like, I don't want to get up and dance. I'm, I feel weird. Like, Yep. What what when you go into DJ, uh-huh. are are you told like, hey, we want to get everyone dancing, or are you just told like, listen, you gotta play these five songs and we're and that's gonna that's all the people want to hear? Like how how is it well, approached? On so both DJing sides? is a pretty big spectrum. There's a huge difference between, you know, Bar Mitzvah DJ and yeah. and Steve Aoki DJ and, and everything in between. And one thing that Starting to DJ showed me very quickly, especially as I would open for better DJs and and sort of lived the nightclub life more than I I would have not chosen to do as much partying either had I not been required to be there as the DJ. Mm -hmm. It's just not really my nature. But I came to hugely respect what it means to be a good DJ. And it means that you're kind of in tune with, there's no better word for it, the energy of, of a room. feeling what people need slash want slash, you know, maybe they need a break. Like all of that journey from beginning to end of DJ set, when done well, it can be really sublime. No pun intended. Oh, you, uh, <laughs> wow. you can't talk about journey or sublime. <laughs> what? Wait, what's the journey? <laughs> you said it was all part of this journey. I'm, I'm, oh. I'm worried about Is there a journey you, connection? Or just know, all worried, classic I'm rock? I'm about the Eagles, Any connection in sublime. That I have like, to a classic don't rock. don't mention yeah. it. You're going to get Irving Azoff <laughs> on the phone. And it's going to be unpleasant. Oh, my God. Uh, you just don't want that guy on the phone. Um, <laughs> I, my friend told me a story. He was a music executive at BMG that he there was a dispute over something with someone and that he was in Mexico he had been out drinking for the night and he went down to the hotel lobby in the morning and Irving Azoff was sitting there and said oh hello i've been waiting for you and then proceeded to inform him how things were going to take place and my friend was like okay and then he went <laughs> wait in a good way or a bad way in a like I'm Irving Azoff. Here's what's gonna going to happen. Here's down. how oh, it's okay. going to happen. Because he's I, also like a big time life ruiner. I have friends that I, I can't wow. say won't yeah. blow anybody up, but like no. I've heard stories where I'm like, this is a terrible person. I'm yeah. sorry. I, That's I, I not very badly want him to work with me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he would be great if he was your advocate, but at That's the same what time, I want. karmically, <laughs> from a Buddhist standpoint, yeah, best stay away from <laughs> these characters. He's yeah. also five foot two. Yeah. But um, and he, he gives he, Jews a bad name, you know, which bothers no, me. Well, I'm so he's tired. a friend's uncle. He's a friend's uncle, so I I know nothing about him. But I <laughs> I take your word. All of this, I'm sure, is going to be cut. But like, I'm tired because yeah. we mentioned the like uh, the John Lennon come together story. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I was like, yet another story where freaking Morris Levy. I'm oh, tired yeah. of the trope. Of, it's bad enough that it's like white men that rip off people of color all the time. But why does it have yeah. to be white Jewish men so freaking often? We we own that music business. And But Irving Azoff, let's give a positive moment for him. 
Uh, on Family Guy, we desperately wanted and needed to use the song Panama by Van Halen yeah. for one of the episodes. And it was it was a big part of the plot was that yeah. song. So you couldn't just take it out and replace it with another song. So, of course, it got denied. And then one of our writers, Kirker Butler, oh, cool. wrote an impassioned letter directly to Irving Azoff, who controls the Van Halen catalog. And it worked. He released okay. the song to us. Wow. So you know what? Okay. One one karmic point for Irving right there. <laughs> for not being a dick? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a low bar. That's a low clear, bar, yeah. yeah. He cleared it. Okay. Five one and he cleared it. <laughs> so it are you every time. As as you're DJing, like Diallo, your co host, told told an interesting story. It was a couple of weeks ago on the on your show about uh he was DJing a club in Hollywood and then Paris Hilton came into the booth and start fumbling around. I was like, you got to yeah. play this. I mean, do you encounter a lot of that where it's like, listen, this VIP is going to come in and you've got to do X, Y, and Z? Or do you find you're oh. able to like operate I, that's a very, unmolested? Yeah, that's a very specific niche. The two things I'll say. One, first of all, Diallo is one of the best DJs I've ever seen wow. or worked with. We have a DJ night together every month. We play at Pinkies here in Los Feliz with our friend Daisy, who is also one of the best DJs. So the two of them we gotta go to and this. me okay. yeah. are on the decks and we kind of switch off. But what's been happening recently is after they take their turns, I don't want to come back because <laughs> they really are so good at knowing what to do next. It's, it seems like right. a, such a simple thing, like, oh, you just play a song and then you sit back yeah. for two minutes. But no, it's hard. I didn't want to say that, but now that you've said no, 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 it, no. yeah, that's how it <laughs> seems to that the is, That is, the, I think, a fairly common outsider perspective. I have a playlist just, too. Well, like, that think about it. Yeah. If you if you have somebody that's your friend that's DJing and the entire dance floor is moving and they're sweating mm -hmm. and they're dancing, and then you get up and you start playing music and then everyone starts to walk off oh, the dance floor, yeah. that you is realize... It, is I'm there a not... name for that in the DJ world when you <laughs> well, walk Well, sometimes you want to clear the dance floor. Because, by the way, it is a dynamic between getting everyone to dance well, I know and how also to do that. Not, not pissing <laughs> off the bartenders you who play... ostensibly are there oh. to be getting people... like. You're getting people in the club to drink, not just dance. So you, yes. sometimes you've got to like say, okay, enough fun for now. Here's right. a break. Yeah, so you don't drink. That's you brilliant. You throw on, if this is love, then I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one that does it. Wait, <laughs> Bob Marley of This Is Love? Wait. No. Oh, no, that, that's the girl getting blown up from yeah, CSI the, the, Miami. The one oh, from CSI song. Miami. You throw on <laughs> yeah. that song. The song from Fine. CSI Miami. Great song. <laughs> I sure but it will, clear, it will clear the dance floor. Nobody will. <laughs> So, Nobody but you like, like you are a, a musician as well, and you've got like some just great banger, interesting, awesome disco tracks. And so, I wanted to talk so to you about you. disco music and your passion for it, which is so interesting questions. to me. Yes, you're really. I love all the topics. Are like, yeah, let's let's clear up the misconceptions yeah, from one because, topic to the next. You know, disco obviously like. For a long time, got an awful Maligned. rap, and then I feel like it, it got you know kind of recirculated as as more acceptable. But it it seems strange to me that someone my own age would be a disco primarily right. musician. And so, how did that happen? Well, so we grew up in the era where disco existed, and then it stopped existing largely in America. By the way, nowhere else. It kept mm. on going everywhere that there wasn't a disco demolition. In Chicago, in I think it was nineteen. Right. I want to say seventy nine. Yeah. Disco I, sucks in, night. Yeah. Disco sucks night, where they literally these white. It's irrelevant. These two white dude DJ rock shock jock rock DJs um, decided to have 
a literally bonfire where they encouraged people to bring their disco records and burn them while chanting disco sucks. It was a very now, racist thing also. With 2023 yeah. eyes, go watch the yeah. video. The optics of this, you don't need someone to tell you how racist and how homophobic it is, but it doesn't yeah. hurt to be reminded. And yeah. that happens, in, and that's kind of for the next 10, 15, I don't know how many, maybe 20 years at least, there's a received idea that is unquestioned where that slogan of disco sucks, it's kind of like the make America great again. You can, without yes. thinking, digest it and be like, oh, I, disco must suck. <laughs> like, And that <laughs> kind of culturally becomes a presumption. And I grew up, first of all, in San Francisco. Second of all, liking disco because I'm a kid and it's awesome. So when disco sucks, there's, also, there's a lot going on here. It's beyond the scope of this podcast. But like, yeah. as I said, disco doesn't die. It just... It morphs into, for example, synth pop and post punk. Yes. So all these great '80s bands never had the disco demolition moment. Duran Duran and Pet Shop Boys and New Order are just continuing to make and evolve the form of dance music past disco into synth pop and then house music and you know. So that tradition continues and evolves. But in America, we still have this, especially for people of a certain age, middle aged, I suppose, and older. Disco sucks. The Bee Gees are dumb. Like all these stupid, oh unthought so through yes. notions because it was sort of foisted upon us by the never ending repeated cycle of like the t-shirts and the news cycles and sh being shown that bonfire uh, yeah. in Comiskey Park. So yeah. I <laughs> take up the yes. mantle a little as a contrarian because I genuinely like the music and I'm kind of making it. I don't know why. If that's the core of your question, I'll never be able <laughs> no, to it's, 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 I just it's, like it. It's yeah. interesting to me what people with such great knowledge and taste gravitate to, right? Because it's like, because we work in comedy, I find that my taste, like my favorite movie of the last five years might be Triangle of Sadness, right? So like good. it's not these yeah. big stories. So it's, it's, it's almost like when you have a lot of knowledge, you can't consume what everyone else is consuming because There's a lot of that you're sure bored yeah. by it. But then when someone There's is doing something in a more obscure milieu it becomes yeah. interesting and because you don't know how it's done you're asking such a great question and it's forcing me to kind of think in a way that feels really interesting to me like i would say for example when i started making music like new order very quickly you love came new to, order i know from yeah, listening to your show you love and part of it was that i as i started to kind of cobble together these riffs by the way when i talked about the riffs and the four track and the music that i'd been struggling to finish that i started to be able to finish it's important to point out that these were all crunchy guitar riffs. I was very influenced by Caius, Queens of the Stone Age, sort of stoner rock, mm -hmm. very slow, lugubrious, Sabbath-influenced, crunchy. That was where I was coming from. And I had in my mind, the vision I had was I was going to combine that with a kind of ethereal Cocteau Twins female <sighs> vocalist. Yeah. You know, maybe Annie Lennox is available and she can, you know, put some Scottish weirdness on top. <laughs> um, <laughs> that Those are two Scottish bands, I just realized. <laughs> Something about Scottish warbling. That <laughs> right. is but what uh, ended up happening was I took it into a rehearsal space to try to find a band. And when I would start, I would, I didn't have a drummer. So I had a drum machine or some like looped beats. And it sounded so good to me in the room, different from being in my studio and my headphones. In the room, I was like, holy shit. This is that new order thing where you have like you have like a rolling drum machine pulse or craft work and it's a machine and it's perfect and it's a robot but on top you're this not great guitar player and not great singer <laughs> yeah. which is Bernard from New Order but it's also me right? and that sounds really cool 
like that's kind of a punk energy and a yeah. perfect krautrock underpinning and it just sounds good and fresh and human and awesome to me. Well, that, that rolls yeah. us nicely into something you just did on your show and some of the fun of what you do, which is let's talk about the song Superstition. And, you know, I think of Stevie Wonder as like a young maestro and this in, incredible genius. And again, I'm picturing the song Superstition, one take, he's on the piano playing it. But that's <laughs> not what the song Superstition is at all. Can you... Explain sure. a little bit, like, what's going on with the drums, what's going on with the keyboard, and the origin of this iconic song. Right. I, I can do that. And I can also say that out of all of the examples, he would probably be closest to maybe, especially 1972 Stevie, to maybe they did use a lot of his first takes because it's a unique situation where it's him playing all the parts. Yeah. yeah. So his internal clock on the drums, playing the drum beat, on the Moog bass, playing the bass line, on the clavinets playing that the fact that he's playing all those parts actually it's i don't know how many takes they literally did but um it is the case that that song has its origin with Jeff Beck wanting to write a song with Stevie Wonder and he, Jeff Beck by the way huge Stevie Wonder fan i think he ends up covering four Stevie Wonder songs in his career wow. so he And in your TikTok in, you play his version of Superstition which is just like <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> like, let's not be mean. Poor man yeah. lost his life this year. But let's face it; it's not the iconic oh, version no. of Superstition. It's Stevie's, but it's meant to be a Jeff Beck song. Stevie wrote it. Stevie and Jeff get together ostensibly to make a Jeff Beck song for Jeff Beck's next record. Jeff Beck sits down at the drum kit and plays that iconic beat. It's not him on the record, but that is him composing it starting with the drum beat. Yeah. Stevie hears it, races in, jumps on the clavinet, which is that instrument. It's very, it's, it is the sound of 70s Stevie Wonder, like all of his like classic period albums. It, it's, it sounds kind of like a harpsichord meets a guitar. Yeah. It's, it's a keyboard that doesn't quite sound like a Rhodes or a Whirly, the classic piano sounds. It's harder and more distinct. And each sound is kind of the same, e evenly um, in the dynamic range, but also like the duration. Anyway, all this to say that he plays and they are off to the races with this song, which Stevie then, Goldie, to your point, he goes in, records the drum track, records the bass line, records the so clavs. And um, by the time they're done, Barry Gordy from Motown's like, great song, not for Jeff Beck. That is no longer, <laughs> we're not giving this one away. Right. Yeah. We are holding on to it because this is a number one, this is an all-timer here. And so is that Jeff a situation like, where yeah. Barry Gordy would come in and say, I want to put a horn section in this, or is that a Stevie thing? I'll bet. So the nature of that moment for Stevie is that he had been under the Barry Gordy wing of Motown where everybody is doing what they're told and they're being given, you know, posture lessons and, you know, wearing the suits in the sort of 60s classic Motown era. But he has just signed a new deal where he has full creative control, ownership of his publishing. In 1972, Stevie Wonder probably isn't taking any notes from Barry Gordy. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want to point people to your... Uh, show one song as well, the just the superstition episode, because you take the stems from the piano and show that it's like seven layers. Yeah. And how, <laughs> and, and kind of point out how insane. sloppy it is. Oh, yeah. That's oh, the best that part, of, part of what's so great about owning the stems and why I want to share it as a music maker also is because 
one thing I want to stop gatekeeping is like the perfectionism. Uh, we, it is so easy, and I do this all the time, to spend too many months trying to like get a single song or idea like perfect or right. So what happens when you ha hear the, the, it's called the Stevie slop is like the industry term for specifically how messy Stevie's drums are and his cloud parts are. They're messy, but in a way that interlocks in a perfect way. It's the funkiest thing you'll ever hear in your right. life. But when you hear them right. separated, you're like, that's garbage. I mean, it's cool garbage, <laughs> yeah. but it yeah. doesn't, it's all slops all over the place. No, it's the Stevie's metronome. Ba boom, it's right there. <laughs> and that's uh -huh. keeping track of all of these layers as he lays down the beats. Then he layers down all the eight different clavinet parts that interlock. And he finds these crazy little pockets where he'll place this idea, like this layer of clavinet above the main line, because there's a little space for it. There's a little space for it here. And when you hear them together, it's like, what? This is a cacophony of... Uh, ba -da -ba -da. Yeah. But when you hear it together in the mix, oh, that awesome. he must have heard this in his head and he knew it would line up and it does. So, I, have a, I have a... I'm sorry, I have a neophyte question here and, yes. I, and I think I know what it is, but just for me and maybe potentially for some of our listeners, is a stem just an isolated track from, a, from an out... Like, what, what do you consider a right. stem to be? Okay, so there are... Another thing about the show is that I'm putting myself front and center to be like, nah, -uh. I get, I get a lot. 99% <laughs> of my comments are like very positive and like people get the general gist of it. But every now and then you'll get someone who's like, nah, -uh. I got a nah -uh on this episode actually <laughs> from of all people like money Mark from the beastie boys. And he was very oh. kind about it, but he is a maestro, literally the maestro from the beastie boys. So he yeah. is the maestro of keyboards. Like give him some wood and he'll build you a cabinet. Yeah. That's who money Mark is. Literally. Yeah. He, He's the king of how keyboards work and how and 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 playing on them. So I misspoke and said it had been my understanding that a clavinet is actually a plucked instrument that inside the the bones of the machine, <laughs> rather than um, you know hitting like if you've ever looked inside a piano, you see the strings and hammers. So that hammer hits the string, it rings out and. Um, it had been my understanding that unlike that, it's more like a harpsichord where the strings are plucked. Because the end result is that sound, that clavinet sound, that Stevie Wonder 70 sound, which is very specifically, it has a uniformness, unlike a Whirly or a Rhodes, where you can, can control the dynamics and right, soft and loud. Resonance and so I misspoke and I, I, I was wrong about how that sound is produced. And Money Mark pointed that out. We had a nice back and forth. All this to say, I'm setting up an answer to your question. What are stems? <laughs> oh my God. Because <laughs> it depends on who you ask. And... In my opinion, the way we use it is an oversimplified term to mean the component parts, just yes. the drums, just the bass, just the vocals. You could make an argument that stems are really like a six bar, eight bar loop of drums and an eight bar loop that you can then use to modify or remix. But multi-tracks are another synonym for it. Yeah. This is way too much of an answer. No, for what you I want I, I love no. the specificity. Because sometimes you can okay. talk to somebody and they'll say a stem could be a stereo bounce of the drums. You could say, Can I have a stem of the drums? There you go. I'm so it really the, can the be a perfect specific. person here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, no, it, right? It sometimes stems means different yeah. people. You have to sort of get them to specify. Wait, do you want, for example, the vocals? Do you want all of the vocals together? Yes. Yeah. Or all 30 tracks of, or 80 tracks of Dua Lipa vocal. I have these, like, some of the more recent pop songs I have, like Dua Lipa, literally, I'll have 80 wow. different layers of some of these vocals. So it's, like, kind of a nightmare to go through That's to try and make a, a story out of. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so stem can mean a handful of different things. Yeah. Okay. So 
Another one of my favorite stories from your TikTok is about the song Starman, which I don't know. You, through your TikTok, informed me the genesis of the song, and maybe it's well known, but I didn't know it. So could you just uh, tell the audience? Well, one of my favorite things about the David Bowie song Starman, and a lot of musicians know this too, the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow like if you're trying to think of an octave in your head, like what is a an octave? What's the interval of an octave? Yeah, a- and it's somewhere. <laughs> so yeah. Bowie gets it in his head. The story goes: I have read that he wanted to do melodically emulate that jump and sort of other aspects of that song. So he goes instead of somewhere over the rainbow, he goes: There's a star man waiting in the sky. And it's a conscious effort on his part to pay homage to that other song, to the Judy Garland version of the song. Um, I forget who wrote the song, but that's less important than that rendition, which is clearly in his head because of the cultural importance of the movie Wizard of Oz. So anyway, he's doing, when Bowie makes music or when Bowie made music, he was thinking of everything at once, both what does it sound like? What does it mean? What does it look like? And that was part of why Bowie was so important is he kind of, not quite pioneers, but in a new way, along with maybe Brian Ferry, art rock starts to exist as a multidimensional phenomenon. It's not just the song, it's everything about the song and the layers of meaning. So he intentionally isn't trying to fool anybody. He's not trying to take this melody and pass it off as something original. It's an intentional homage. And the proof of that is when he does a record, when he plays live at the rainbow and (laughs) does a medley where he starts, there's a star man over the rainbow. Uh, <laughs> so nice. I that love is, that. It, yeah. It, yeah, that really, because I love that song and it just adds this other dimension that is just so cool. Yeah, and, and it's a big part of the storytelling too because one thing that emerges from all of the different stories that I, I talk about on the TikTok and uh, and in the show One Song, which is on Sirius XM every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific time. Yes. PM Eastern. Available as a podcast the very next day is that <laughs> there is a, a non uniformity of how it works. There is no easy way to predict whether the kind of, as I said earlier, musical transformation or borrowing or lifting or stealing that's again, I don't like that word, but like when you are using existing material, whether it's an idea or it's a sample like a recording, there's no easy way. Um, well, I take that back with a sample. That's going to be the most blatant form of like, people will know, people will tend to find out or or a cover, you know, that's, you can easily get permission and pay a predictable amount. But with interpolations in particular, it's wild west. And as a musician, you know, actually sampling is the case too. You can only really sample if you're a rich rapper, only Jay-Z or Kanye. I just learned that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> Jeff Basker interview. He's like, yeah, no, no. Everyone in Kanye's camp says yeah. Kanye. Um, those are the only people that can afford to use big samples. Yeah. So anyway, one of the big things I'm learning about and storytelling and with the book, trying to kind of piece together, like, where is the line between something inspiring and something where it's considered, all right, you've got to pay up for this. And yeah. then you go down the path of how much do you have to pay and to whom? All of that is different every time. There's no simple way to know as you're writing or making something what will happen next. Well, to Irving Azoff, clearly. (laughs) Irving knows what's going to happen. He's going to take all of it. 
another story, um, and I just want to ask you about one more question about music, and then I want to point you and JC at each other for the benefit of the audience (laughs) to end this. But there's a very funny thing on your TikTok that was new to me about the the Michael Jackson song, Bad, and how it was supposed to be a collaboration with Prince and why this did not happen. Uh, Can you elaborate? (laughs) I mean, I've heard this story a few ways, but I'll go with what literally Prince said to Chris Rock. Yeah. That'll be, let's just all agree that that's what really happened. So the song Bad by Michael Jackson, um, it opens with the line, your butt is mine. (laughs) So he sends this track to Prince, hoping to do a collab. And... Prince listens to the opening line and he's like, okay, who's supposed to be singing this to who? Cause you're not singing it to me. And I sure as hell not singing it to you. <laughs> so, and there that's, is that's video the, footage the of him saying that. Yeah. There's video footage yeah, of him saying so that. Some people have wondered whether it's just for the video. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm pretty sure this is like, it was supposed to be a duet, like a Michael Jackson and um, Paul McCartney, because right, they right. got two duets. Your butt is mine. <laughs> your goddamn, the goddamn butt, butt is, is mine. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been so generous with your time, and thank you again. And and, and really, I, I encourage everyone to listen to your show one song because it, it's it's just such a joyful, fun, and educational experience. But I learned by listening to your show that your idol is Perry Farrell. <laughs> yeah, and our own JC. <laughs> Happens to be very good friends with no, one. Stop, Perry Farrell. <laughs> per- I'm not worthy of being Farrell. on this Zoom. Peripheral, a, a peripheral Perry Farrell. So, JC, I, I was hoping maybe you could just tell Blake how great it is to be friends with Perry Farrell. <laughs> What's it like? But Rub wait, it in my you, face. Yeah. Are you, you guys? I fi- I thought maybe you guys were acquainted with each other. Is this no? Me and. You and Perry? Perry? Yeah. Because no. what, what, how did you become a fan? Like, what in the music of Jane's Addiction, Perry Farrell sort of spoke to the 20 year old or adolescent yeah. Blake about, like, what were you finding in it? Well, I, I don't know a simple answer other than I saw them live at the Stone on the um, Nothing's Shocking tour. Okay. And their live show is incredible. It's speechlessly speechlessness making. It's yeah. the closest thing that I'll have to <laughs> probably seeing Zeppelin, where it's just like yeah. it's bigger than the music. There's an energy and a spirituality, and the visuals like Perry with his hair and flinging it about, yeah. and all of the performers like as a musician, like these are that's my favorite bass player, that's my favorite drummer, that's my favorite guitar player. Wow, the original, singer. the original lineup, those four okay. guys, yeah. you know, of um, Eric Avery on bass and like. I had, you know, so that spoke to me right away. Like, okay, I'm now a fan of this band. And then kind of as it grew in time, um, you know, with the next record, nothing, which was a little habitual, I started to grow my hair out into dreadlocks. Oh my God. And I put the little metal things at the end, like I saw a picture of Perry had, and I dyed it red, like I saw Perry had. All of this is coming from, I don't, I don't have like a strategic document where I'm like, okay, first I'm going to do this. It's just (laughs) happening. I'm just doing this. He's just speaking to me. He's like my older Jewish brother that I never had because I'm an only child. So his Jewishness mattered to me. Yes. Like that felt, I felt that. And um, you know, to this day, they're, they're a band that I can kind of go back and rediscover, which happened recently when it's crazy because I didn't even know. Well, long story short, I put on Then She Did, that song. I don't know why. I just thought to listen to it. 
And it hit me in a completely new way because it's about his mother's suicide. And I have two friends who committed suicide. And as I was listening, all of that just became tears. Like I was bawling in pub. I was at the meadow in Silver Lake having ridden my bike there and just taking a moment. And I couldn't, I was just like hiding my, I was like, I was a puddle of emotion. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever experienced. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, that's my Perry Farrell. Well, but I, I think that's... Sorry, go ahead, JC. Oh, uh, I was going to say, I did not have the connection to the music before I met him. And I'm actually very grateful for that because it allowed me to be able to go into these vocal sessions. Stu had been producing a couple songs for the new um, Kind Heaven Orchestra. And whenever he does stuff, I always go in and produce the vocals. So I had never really met Etty and Perry yet, but they Stu brought me in to sing backgrounds on a song with them. They're very sweet. And um, it turned into, do you want to try to produce these vocals? And here I was producing Perry Farrell. That's so cool. When and was telling this? him, this is uh, two summers ago, maybe, maybe a year and a half ago, maybe less. So um, I would be telling him things like, oh, you, you didn't get that take things that people have never been able to tell him because he's Perry Farrell. And because of that, he started to trust me and, and look at me like, do I have it? I don't know. And from that point, That's so cool. it was Because you weren't pretty, like a yes, yes man or something yeah, about it. Yeah, because I didn't have that right. feeling. And then Stu comes home from a session with them and he was like, um, Perry just asked if you wanted to sing in the band. Ooh. And I said... <laughs> No. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, I can't. I'm too busy. I don't have time. I have a podcast. I've got these two shows, but I can't do it. And so this is how awesome they are. Yeah. Well, what will it take? You know, I said, well, here's my time frame. Um, I can only do it here because I'd also have to like work with all the background vocalists, teach them the parts and, re- you know, do all this stuff. And I had to, I can't go in there and look like a schmuck, you know? So they scheduled all the rehearsals around my schedule and it was incredible. Like I'd go in there and even in rehearsal, he would look at me like, did I, did I get it? Wow. You became a really trusted member of the organization. It's really crazy. Yeah. But I will say (laughs) our friend, Chris Cheney, who was the bass player for, for Perry for a long time, um, is one of Stu's best friends. And he was like, would you be interested in, in subbing for me? And Stu was like, uh, <laughs> a yes, that, <laughs> that would be a huge rad. yes. So yeah. he then <laughs> did this known. whole setup of like, it was Chris's birthday party and Perry was like very shy and he, and, and this is where Taylor Hawkins comes in. It was Chris's birthday party. Taylor was talking to Stu and he was like, you're really cool. Hold on a second. Walks up to Perry and says, you need to work with Stu. You need to hire Stu. He's really cool. And then that's how Stu got into kind wow. heaven. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and that's now also, you need it's, to, go, go ahead, go ahead, Blake. Sorry, <laughs> it's a two Jew pileup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about how grateful I am to have finally, I gotta say, it like moved to LA where things happen in part because of proximity and social circles. And like maybe to counter a little bit like this, like Hollywood elite ideal. It's like, actually it's just, if you're here, normal human interactions unfold and they turn out to be crazy. Perry Farrell asking you to join. Like 
that's we're all very very lucky to have that and yeah. i didn't have that before so i'm very conscious of like san francisco to here is a big difference for things yeah. that i've been wanting to do in my life and we had been in new york for 19 years and moved to la in 2019 you know the pandemic hit in 2020 so this all really happened in the middle of the pandemic well also you caught perry farrell's covid I did. What? I got yeah. COVID. From, that's, that's how close right. they are. I'm so lucky. Forgot. She had that's his COVID. COVID. That's so cool. <laughs> I forgot about that. I <laughs> All right, well, JC, we have to did set up now. Did you keep your test? Like your, 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 your <laughs> Barry Farrell. He signed it. <laughs> yeah. JC, gotta, you have to. You have to set up. You have to at least direct Perry towards Blake's uh, TikTok. Oh, I will. I mean, he's yeah. yeah. He's the let's, kind of let's guy. Let's get who, this going. Let's yeah. get this going. Yeah. He should. He shouldn't just get nothing for doing this podcast. I know. He's he's been a really big uh, like I think the closest I, I've come to figuring out what it is in my later life is like oh I'm an only child and I tend to seek out yeah. kind of siblings both older and younger and it's like yes. oh I get it Perry was a little bit of that figure that wasn't a father like I was learning from him I was admiring there's also this factor where like certain people proximity in your life gives you the notion that you also can do it. Perry, not directly, but like my friend Ian Sfinonius, who was a musician, because I knew him. And there he was like every day, like at lunch at this place we both worked. I was like, oh, I can maybe also be a musician. I think Perry, there's a little bit of that that trickles in in when I think about what he is (laughs) meant to me. Um, So and last but not least, besides the dreadlocks, he also did this thing that blew my mind. I think he still does it. Where as a vocalist, he has that vocal contraption, right? He's always had the delay you know, oh, at the time, yeah, it was yeah, a much yeah. a rack thing. But like, he would sing something and then kind of replicate what would happen on record where it's crazy delay and yeah. feedback. And I love that. I love that it was playing with the sonics. And I'm a, yes. I mentioned I'm a big Jamaican dub yes. reggae oh, so fan. Like, that's, that's what he's doing. He's bringing yeah. that into this like rock context. So anyway, yeah, lucky you. Well, uh, Blake, Robin, AK Luxury. I want to thank you so much for being here. And thank, just, you. thank you. For it's incredible. It's the, the, what you do, I think, is just so important because it's about, it enhances our connection to music. And I think too often music is something that's just played in the background and we don't think about it. But by bringing it to the forefront, you've really helped me personally appreciate uh, both what music does mean and what it can mean to someone. So thank That's you for that. That's an incredibly nice thing that you just said. Thank you, Goldie. Yeah, he almost I cried. That, that yeah. was nice. <laughs> yeah, he, he knows. Yeah, this, it's been the, fun talking to you guys, and thanks for having me on and letting me ramble here and yeah, there. Yeah, it was so Thank great. you, Blake. Rewarding. Awesome. <laughs> so great. Uh, and oh boy, luxury. <laughs> that was so cool. How, how cool. Yeah. That guy... Yeah, is really cool, and he knows yes. a shit ton about music. And we didn't even can't... scratch the surface. No, he, <laughs> no. he can't say he can't say Eagles, but that's okay. Right um, now, <laughs> let's get into a portion of the show we like to call Top Five. Top Five. Oh, glorious! Listen to us <laughs> sing, Goldie. This was your topic this week. Tell the folks what we're going to be top five and about. Yeah, so the topic is sort of the top five go-to dinners or meals in your house. And this is because I feel like we're always in the rut in our house of eating the same few things. But then when you hear about what other people eat, you go, oh, we could just steal that. So I'm hoping maybe to get some ideas just to, you know, for some quick meals, some quick dinners, whatever. Smart, smart. Uh, So number five in our house is Roast Lloyd. 
No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke I make every night about. What should we have for dinner? Maybe some. Oh, that's. Uh, number five is uh, chicken sausage with lentils. Oh. It's very quick, very easy, very good. Yeah. The yep. chicken sausage makes the lentils palatable. Ooh. Yeah. Lentils are palatable anyway. Yeah, they're fine. I can't, yeah. yeah. They're fine. Uh, <laughs> number four is uh, I make filet mignon and roast broccoli. It's very oh, quick. Oh, love that. You just mm. put salt and pepper on the steaks. You do them in the skillet three, four minutes aside. Then you put it in the oven at 400 and Boom. wait a little bit. And salt and pepper. And pepper. That's all you need. Number three, <laughs> taco night. Yeah. Ooh, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. you should have thought of does that. Does it have to be? Does it have to be Tuesday? No. Okay. Uh, number two is a, a recent uh, meal that my wife has been making, which has been great, called miso salmon. It's just Trader Joe's salmon, else. Trader Joe's yeah. miso sauce. Put it in the oven, and it's it's pretty good. Awesome. You have a lot to answer for after <laughs> JC's twenty three and me for that dish. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> And number one, and this was our like a fairly recent discovery of how you throw a dinner together. Oh, is you just buy a baguette, slice it up, charcuterie. Charcuterie. Oh, you just get three well, different that's... cheeses out of the fridge. You slice up a little fruit. I love you it. You get like a little bit of pepperoni or something. You're done. Yeah, done. Yeah, done. Jar, maybe a jar of uh, marinated artichoke hearts. Oh, wow. He's eating artichoke hearts. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. By the way, those, oh are, those sound great. And yeah, Goldie, you're, you're a very good uh, cook, as is Steph, I'm sure. So you have, uh, we're, we're, we're one-handed in, in my household. So all of these dishes are tall. And she's an amazing cook. So oh, that's cool. Here we go. Number five, short rib in the slow cooker. Whoa. Oh, it's, fucking amazing she just and it takes a really long time like you have to start in the morning and it's cooking all day well, it but is, not much effort right it's just time. she puts oh, it in i mean easy for smart. me to say but she puts together like a great sauce and there's like <gasps> coca-cola involved it, it's, wow. it's delicious we gotta get um, that one yeah yeah, it's, yeah it's good you can get the recipe from her number four simple uh along the lines of some of the stuff you were talking about salmon broccoli and potatoes Wow. Tall can whip this up. She puts the broccoli in the oven, not in the water, and it's like crisp and salty. It's awesome. And the water? Um, you say salmon in the water? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. He's saying not steamed broccoli. Not steamed. Oh, broccoli. Not, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 broccoli. Well, we have uh, try and listen, JC. Uh, number three. <laughs> number three is chicken schnitzel, which schnitzel. is basically just a breaded chicken cutlet. It's oh. fucking awesome. Uh, I you know the schnitzel kind of throws you off with the name, but it's yeah. it's it's just a breaded chicken cutlet. It's awesome. Uh, number two, and this is a this is a me special. This is oh. when I didn't quite understand the assignment. <laughs> Roast beef sandwich on rye with potato chips. I and just love fine. that. Ooh, I love fine. it. Yeah. Can I tell you something? I love it. And number Can one, t- this is tall. You know she knows. She's listening right now, and she'll know what number one is going to be. Tall. You want to tell them? Oh no, you can't. I will. <laughs> Pasta bolognese. She makes an unbelievable bolognese sauce. And now, like, Levy is gluten-free, so she's actually found this great gluten-free pasta that tastes just the same to me. It's I don't know. I'll tell you what it's called. We use a brown rice-based one that we like. Yeah. And it started off a couple years ago that the the gluten-free pastas weren't great, but now they've really caught up, and they're great. So that's the list. That's a great list. Love it all. Thank you, Tal. The food is delish. Yes. KJC, go ahead. Okay, so um, mine is a little bit more ethnic 
in there. Yeah. So um, yeah, Taiwanese, so, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Siberian. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so number five. This is um, mostly I make when Stu's not around, and none of these are vegan, by the way. These are like dishes I made before Stu Stu went vegan. Sure. Um, number five is fried eggs with fried rice. Oh, so yeah, great. that's good. It is great. Oh, my favorite. Street food, street food. Street food I in the house. Um, number four is a crossover. Baked salmon and broccoli. Yeah. Mm. I bake my yes. salmon and put it in a foil for 12 minutes. I put a little butter, lemon, salt, and pepper. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. Push it. <laughs> number three. Shrimp scampi. That is yes. so good. But we yes. make it with rice because I'm Asian. So most yeah, every sure. all of these are with rice. Yeah. Number two is a Filipino dish called chicken adobo. If anybody out there knows Filipino food, this is like a super standard meal. It's super easy to make. It's you basically take like chicken and garlic, soy sauce, either lemon or vinegar, and a tiny bit of sugar. Stuff and, it in a Manila folder and mail it to the Philippines, and then you stew, and then you stew it together. You cook clay it. pot. Is that the adobo portion of this? No, it, I actually don't know where the adobo part, mm. where the meaning of that comes from. But it, you just sort of boil it, and it's it's crazy good. It's it's like not real how good it is. Amazing. And then number one is mm-hmm. a dish called ginger beef, which is the meat. The beef is um, sliced super thin, like shabu shabu style. Yeah, was was shabu shabu, and then it's it's so good. You bake it; it's crispy. It's got a little sesame seeds on, a little bit of sugar and soy sauce, and obviously ginger, served with rice and broccoli. So delish, delish. Sounds great. That was that was a great uh, great topic. And so, what do we have next week, JC? Um, okay, so next week, I I'm not sure if I did if we've done this already, but uh, top five. Things to bring when you travel. No, we haven't. That's good. Okay. Love that. Love that. All All right. right, So we'll talk about that next week and something else next week. Oh, my God. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm giddy. All (laughs) those things. We are going to be talking next week to, on on the comedy Mount Rushmore, Michael McKeon from Spinal Tap. Unreal. From Best in Show. From Daryl. We're going to yeah. talk about Daryl, if anyone out there remembers <laughs> yeah. that. Better call Saul. Uh, we, we can't wait to talk to him. We're so lucky that we get to talk to him. So yeah. we're excited for that. We hope you are, too. That's what we'll be talking about Woo-hoo. next week. And awesome. now we're going to end the show, as we do every week, on a high note. Oh, thank you, Lovely. Tom and Max. It's so long. Um <laughs> All right, so I'll quickly go and have a fast high note. And we talked about it up top. My high note, we're back. We're back in the office. We're back at work. The strike is over. Definite high note. I'm loving it. Yay. I'm glad that's a high note. My high note (laughs) is our own JC Janice Cruz Brooks. What? Because she's been going through it a little bit. She's had her hands full. And yet never missed a beat. And if you think this podcast could be done without her, my friends, you are fucking mistaken. Yes. I will find you. I will kill you if you think that. I know where you live. I know where your family goes to school. 
and I will make you suffer beyond <laughs> what you ever thought possible. <laughs> I have a certain set of skills. That's I know. very well said. I have a yellow belt in karate. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, let me let me go I back. I kind of remember one thing about boxing my dad taught me in 1981. Let's so let's sweet. end this bit now. Wait, but I want to I want to go Thank back you. and re-record my high note first. Uh, JC really is the high. Oh no, I can't do that. Okay, All right, JC, oh go ahead. God. What's your high note? Thank you, Goldie. Only um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Only the Goldie can play. No, uh, that's very sweet. Actually, my high note is I am visiting my parents and. We're making sure that we just have fun, like the most fun, like we're playing ping pong into the wee hours of the night, like literally three in the morning playing <laughs> ping pong until three in the morning. My parents um, are just, they're just really fun. So um, I'm, I'm having a nice time. That's Can I make a, a suggestion for something that we've recently found is super fun and you wouldn't think so? Yeah. Yahtzee. Oh, Yahtzee's okay. really fun. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yahtzee. Yahtzee. <laughs> Love it. Getting a getting a Thank real you. boost from this podcast. Yahtzee sales are up. Skyrocketing. <laughs> They're yelling Yahtzee at the Yahtzee offices. Uh, well, that was a really fun show. God, yeah. thank you, Luxury. Yes. Thank uh, Blake you, yeah. Robin, what, yes. aka Luxury. Thank you. It was yes. great talking with you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you two for being awesome. Thank and you. we will talk to you again no, next week. No, no, no. Yes, no, yes. no, 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 That was fun. And it stopped right now. That was fun. so